0: You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. I'm sure there was a point in time where many of you could recall being atheist or atheistic. You simply, whether it was due to circumstances or through your own personal journey, concluded, maybe there's no God. Or there is no God. Perhaps there are some here right now. And so to our friends who don't believe in the existence of God, I welcome you either way to church. And I will always hope and pray that you continue in your search because that strange pull that you're experiencing in your life, that, that driving force that's propelling you forward in search of something more than what life has to offer, yeah, that's from God. That's God right there. And I would encourage you to try reading the scriptures. And before you say, well, Pastor, I've already read the scriptures. I already read Genesis and Revelation. I had the pop-up color books too when I was little. And I did all that stuff. I read it. I want to encourage you guys to read it again. And perhaps read it with someone who is a person of faith. Someone who understands beyond the black and white text. Someone who understands the author's heart. It will be completely different. Talk with those who are also experiencing God, and perhaps by God's grace you'll come to know Him as I have. But the sermon isn't about those pure atheists. In other words, the ones who openly proclaim their belief that there is no God. In fact, there are different kinds of atheism, you know that? There are also the agnostics. Although they probably would never call themselves atheists, the agnostic stance is that they cannot know whether God is God or not whether you can know him or not. Therefore, seeking after God or even rejecting God is a moot point. It's irrelevant to everything because you can't know him and you can't not know him. So why do I categorize them in this atheistic side? Because let me ask you this. What is the difference between not being able to know if there is a God and believing there is no God? There's really no difference. It changes nothing really. But finally, there's this last aspect of atheism I want to I tell you guys today. There's something called practical atheists. Now, I don't think these people will probably even call themselves atheists. In fact, these people might actually be quite vocal about their belief in the existence of God. In fact, these people might even call themselves Christians. Practical atheists are people who live as if... God doesn't exist. You get that? They live as if God doesn't exist. Maybe they believe he exists on Sundays or during life groups or during retreats and concerts and revivals. Maybe they believe that he exists during their morning commute as they listen to 91.9 or listen to an audio tape of Crazy Love by Francis Chan. But beyond those moments, God rarely, if ever, enters their minds or their hearts or their speech That is practical atheism. And that's what our text addresses today. So what does practical atheism look like? In verse 13 it says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. The practical atheist always seems to think that time is on their side. And at their disposal, this person always talks about how much money I'm going to make, and this is what I have to do to be able to make it. They speak as if they want what they want is the only right thing in their lives, that there is a choice, their choice is the only factor in this game that we call life. This person thinks that all of who he or she is is what matters the most to make the most of life, to make the most money, to make the most success, to make the most happiness. Practical atheism is simply someone who lives by the book. I'm not talking about the good book. I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm not talking about scripture. I'm talking about the date book. I'm talking about the workbook. I'm talking about the class book, the assignments, the social calendars, the fantasy games, even family outings, doing the regular things of life without everyone's thinking of God or seeking him for guidance and wisdom. God is totally out. He is not even there in your life. And so I ask you guys this. As people who claim to know him, How removed is God from your life? How often do you bring him into your daily lives? Does what he says, what he has to say, does holy scriptures matter at all to you? Or is the Bible only a source of comfort when you want it? When you're a little bit sad and depressed? Are you someone who will just read the Psalms just so you can have your pain mirrored in scripture? Or are you someone who's willing to read through the book of Romans to hear what God thinks of your sin? And how he wants to change you. Verse 14, James points out a sobering reality. It reads, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Do you know what this verse is saying? This verse is saying that God is saying this you're not in control of your life, you're not in control. You can't control tomorrow. You can't even predict tomorrow. You know, we knew who ISIS was and what they did, and yet we weren't weren't able to avoid the massacre that happened that occurred in Paris or in Beirut or Lebanon or Syria. Thousands of lives were taken, yet we still live as if it will exist forever, as if we have some semblance of control in this life. That's not true. We can try to analyze all the factors, study all the trends, make calculated projections regarding the market, but even that is completely unpredictable. There's not one area where we have certain knowledge or control of tomorrow. We do not have any control. In fact, we can't even control our own existence. There's no guarantee that we'll be here tomorrow. There's no surefire way to lengthen our expectancy. We can try to eat healthy and try to work out and try to avoid perhaps like mass transportation that might you know hurt us or kill us or whatever. But even avoiding that can't stop the fact that our lives will one day end. Like verse 14 says, our lives are at best only a mist or a vapor that disappears as quickly as it came. Our lives can be snuffed out in an instant without warning. I was reminded of something Grace read to me earlier this week about a couple who lost their first child in a crash a few years back. They were, however, comforted knowing that their second child was safe. Now, fast forward a few years to only a few days ago that happened where their remaining child gets killed by a drunk driver in an attempt to save his friend and push his friend out of the way. This mom and dad, this couple had two children in their teens, both killed instantly in a tragically similar way. There is no guarantee at all. We have no control, and yet we invest our entire lives and our entire hearts and our entire uh, love and our entire passion and energy into things that have no eternal significance. We strive to make the most money we can to buy the best car possible, to wear the best clothes and live in the biggest house. For what? For what? For what? So how do we respond to this reality? Well, I know some people, some people go around and saying, YOLO, you only live once. Thank you, Drake, for that. So they make no plans. They set no goals and they live for the pleasure of the moment. I'm living for the right now. YOLO. They try to escape responsibilities and pursue things that make them happy, even if it's only just for a moment. But the other response comes from people. The other response comes from people who want to take even more control. These guys reject the idea that you can't be prepared. These are the ones that James is addressing here in verse 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, he says. One author calls this the height of man's arrogance as he tries to build a world without God. We just keep leaving God out of, our, out of the picture. And we can't keep doing that, people. We can't keep leaving God out. This type of life is arrogant. It's atheistic. We try to build up for ourselves corporate jobs and climb that corporate ladder, but we leave God out. We try to raise our families up, but we leave God out. We try to pursue relationships and meaningful friendships, but we leave God out. We try to rest, and we try to find comfort, and we try to find Peace, but we leave God out. And that's, that's what boggles my mind, first of all. When we say, I want rest, and we leave God out. God is not draining. You know that? The world is draining. God, he does not leech off of us. The world leeches off of us. God does not take and take and take from you. The world does that, and yet whenever we get tired, whenever you and I get burnt out, whenever we get exhausted and fatigued or whatever, mentally strained, the first thing we say is this, I need to step away from church. The first thing we say is, I need to step away from life group. I need to give up quiet time to sleep a little bit more. I need to give up God, and to that I say, no, 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 no. God is rest. You get that? God is rest. God, he wants to give, give, give to you. He wants to pour into you. You know that? He wants to give you himself. We must stop leaving God out in the places that matter most, and that's our lives, every aspect of it. Now, some of you guys may say, well, Pastor David, is it really feasible? really feasible to bring God into every aspect of our lives. Yes, it is. As a married man, I'll be honest with you, I'm constantly thinking of my wife. I am. Can all the married men say amen? What are you thinking about my wife? (laughs) They're thinking about your wives. Even at the EM men's retreat after I had eaten my dinner. I saw how others were enjoying the delicious ramen noodles Ron had packed, so graciously packed. Was I super hungry so that I needed another meal? No. But was it there? Yes. And I immediately thought of what Grace would say. She would say, honey, perhaps you should let this one go. You know how it might affect your stomach, especially when you eat it late at night. You know what spice does to you. Her words were guiding me. I didn't have to strain to hear her. It becomes absolutely normal for me to think of her in all my circumstances. Did I eat it? Yes. (laughs) That's not the point. And the reason why my wife plays such a pivotal role in my life is simply because of this. She and I, aside from my relationship with Christ, we hold the highest of relationships. It's not because I'm whipped. It's because I care what she thinks. Much in the same way, practical atheism is someone who has not established a high, clear relationship with God. Therefore, God and what he wants plays no role in influencing our decisions. You get that? Does he matter to you? Does his relationship with you matter to you does what he thinks of you and what you do and what you don't do does it matter to you if so then yes he will be very much involved in every aspect of your life i wonder if practical atheism has entered your homes how are you when you interact with your siblings when you talk with your parents when you interact with your spouse or raise your children or socialize with your neighbors is there any mention of or reference to god Practical atheism, obviously, it exists in our schools and education system, right? We've removed prayer from school. we removed any mention of God so much that the very nature of our education has become atheistic. Did you know that long time ago, all the top Ivy League schools like Harvard, Princeton, Yale, they were all seminaries? You knew that. If you're Asian, you know the history of Ivy League schools. They're all seminars because why? There was a point in time when knowing the truth of God was the greatest knowledge of all. See, not only does practical atheism exist in our homes and schools, sadly, it exists even in our churches. Because you can hear proper theology, you can hear good sermons, have the best Sunday school curriculum, but, but beyond that, what we live and we work and serve as if God is distant, as if He's not a real player. In all this, So we stop talking to him except when we're on the pews. We never expect him to do anything. We never a- a expect him to act. We get embarrassed even if he gets brought up. The church more and more is getting secularized each day. Church is not where we come to just hear a funny anecdote or a place to talk about football or work. Church must be a place where you want to hear from God. Where you hear the word of God where you want to hear what God wants to teach his children. See, see, God, he doesn't want just fans, bandwagoners. He wants followers. So let me ask you this. Even as I'm preaching right now, even as I'm saying the word of God right now, do you feel uncomfortable when you hear it, when you hear the word of God preached? Good. That's what we call conviction. Do you find it hard to sometimes follow God's words? Good. That means you're wrestling with it. So then what are we called to do then? Here's the answer from what James says. He says, trust in God's providence. Trust in God's providence. This is what the Heidelberg Catechism or the Baptism Catechism says about the providence of God. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his hand, heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years food and drink, health and success, sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by and from his fatherly hand. That's providence. Ephesians 1 says God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And that's the point of verse 15 here. This verse should cause us to lie before him and just say, Lord, I worship you. Because it illustrates to us who God is and who we are. You know how we sometimes call life cyclical? It's just one cycle. And we even take lines from movies like Lion King where we'll quote that this is just simply the circle of life. And so oftentimes we think that tomorrow is just another notch on the rim of time's wheel. But the way God looks at that is is different. In fact, he sees it more as a kind of a straight line from eternity past to eternity future. The days we have aren't days that are given to us because that's just how life is. Don't think that tomorrow is going to come because you're somehow owed tomorrow. Don't think tomorrow comes because that's just how it happens. No, no, no. The days ahead of us are given to us by God's grace and mercy. Do you get that? The fact that you are 18, 19, 20, however many years old, is simply by the grace of God. The fact that you and I can breathe is by the grace of God. The fact that tomorrow, we expect tomorrow to never because, never be because we expect it from God, that we're owed it from God. But rather, it's from the grace of God. That is the providence of God. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, 6 is a wonderful verse for all of us to know. And it reminds us that it is only on God we should lean on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your what? Path straight. He will direct your path. Now, God's providence doesn't mean that we shouldn't plan and think ahead. It means that, we, that when we do plan, when we do think ahead, that we shouldn't be anxious or arrogant. We shouldn't be anxious and worry about tomorrow, nor should we be arrogant and trusting our own plans. We should instead plan and prepare by asking God for wisdom, by comparing it to the Word of God and submitting it to God's control. So, brothers and sisters, friends, I say this, when things don't go the way that you want it to go. Has that ever happened in your life? I'm sure every single one of us. When things don't go the way that you want to go, maybe you didn't get that job, maybe you didn't get that guy or that girl, maybe you didn't get that house, maybe you didn't get that car, maybe you didn't get that promotion or that raise, whatever it is, whenever you think that there's this rough bump, this rough patch in your life, this obstacle, whatever it is, those aren't interruptions in your plans. They're not They're actually opportunities, and dare I even say, they're appointments from God. Because God's way is better, and God has a better time. I like what one commentary put it. It is accepting uncontrollable circumstances with grace. That's what trusting in the providence of God is. This means that when tragedy strikes, even though we may not understand why, instead of shaking our fists at God and saying, I hate you and I want nothing to do with, you, do with you anymore, instead of saying that we're called to, guess what, run to him like little children to a father. When tragedy hits you, strikes you, you do not run away from the father, you run towards him into a sweet embrace. You see, God, he is in control. And God's control isn't something we should be challenged by. God's control, his providence, his sovereignty is something we should rest in. Find peace in. We should not boast in tomorrow for we don't know what will happen even the next hour. We need to trust in God's providence by trusting in his eternal sight. You know, God's got a better view than us. Right? Have you guys ever been so worried about tomorrow or that next year? God says, I see it already. I know it already. I have experienced it already. Trust me and allow me to guide you through your life. Allow me to walk you through. Hold my hand, child, he says. To practice this is to acknowledge God in everything. Living life in his presence, trusting Jesus, not just for your eternal salvation, but trusting him as our master, even in the small details of our lives. How true is this, brothers and sisters, that we want Jesus Lord and Savior, but really not as master. Jesus, give me the ticket to salvation. Jesus, give me that one-way ticket to heaven. And Jesus says, here you go, stamped with my blood. And he says, now can I be with you? And we say, take the back seat, Lord. I want to live my life. You know what verse 17 says? James writes that whoever claims to know God and yet isn't moved to follow him and obey him at all costs, it's sinning. When we boast about tomorrow and plan without God, we are only boasting of our ignorance and nearsightedness. Not only that, if you think about it, what is there to actually boast about in our lives? For every accomplishment of mine, I've got ten failures. For every word of goodness, I've spoken a multitude of lies and unclean words. Like, what do I have anything to boast about? boast about what I'll do tomorrow and what I've done yesterday? Can I really credit myself for all the good things that I've done or all the good things that have happened to me? It was all because of me? For a person who hurt you almost every day, a person who slandered your name almost every day, a person who's rejected you almost every day, and yet for one brief moment he or she says something kind to you or does something nice for you, would it be appropriate for them to suddenly boast in their goodness? For them to boast in their success, boast in their character and, and in their understanding of you? No way. And yet we do that with God. You see, the only thing we can boast in is in the fact that it was my sin that put my Savior up on that cross. It was my foolishness and my arrogance and my pride and my laziness and my deceitfulness, my deadness I put the Lord Jesus from the glories of heaven on a cross, drain his blood in the most malicious way, never once realizing that it was his blood that would soon wash over me. You see, the only thing I or you or anyone here can boast in is what we fall short in and what we do not know. It is by God's grace that in the midst of our arrogance and thinking that we have something to our names or that we can live our lives without God, it is by his grace that he would extend his hand of providence and a single eternal destiny-changing act of his grace was what? The death, the life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, guys, if you want to know God, If you want to understand a little bit more of what God wants from you and what his plans are like, it is through Jesus. It is through Jesus. It is through Jesus. How involved is the Lord Jesus in your life, I wonder? And you have to think about that yourself. I can't live your life, and I certainly am. I'm not going to pry into your lives and say, hey, where is he in this, where is he in this, where is he in this? But you've got to evaluate yourselves. Is Jesus something you only experience on Sundays, or is he a part of you every single day for every single thing? Brothers and sisters, let's not be practical atheists. Let's not. If you consider him to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, the Redeemer of your life, the Creator of all things, the Word who became flesh, God incarnate, if he is God himself, then he must be in your life. Every moment, every aspect. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is so much more than just not knowing or knowing what's going to happen tomorrow or the next hour. I think as Christians, we all need to understand that every moment, every word that you speak is propositional. It's saying, will you take me or will you not take me? Will you live for me or will you not live for me? Will you accept me or will you reject me? Will you... Will you dance with me or will you run away from me? Where are you right now in your walk with the Lord Jesus? He is not some distant figure who will be happy by living and having a distant relationship with you. If you think... He was fine with that, then you don't know him. And then you don't know what a marriage is, and you don't know what a real relationship is. Where are you? Are well, the very words that God said when Adam and Eve sinned and moved themselves, removed themselves away from God. They ran away ashamed, filled with guilt in their. Naked, of their nakedness, and the Lord said, where are you? It's not because he didn't know where the he, they were. He's saying, where are you with me? That's what God is saying to you right now, too. Where are you with me? You heard this last week. We talked about relationship with the Lord. Yes, that's established in Christ Jesus, but you know what? Where are you in that relationship? Don't lay back and just coast through Life. the Lord calls us that in our relationship we should be striving towards Him seeking holiness perfecting our faith to become more like Him each and every day where are you with Him right now? I want to give you guys just a moment to pray whatever prayer that you need to whatever it is that will lead you and tug you and draw you and convict you and open your eyes to the reality of your spiritual state right now? Would you be a practical atheist right now if you had to judge yourself? Someone who says, I believe, I believe, but you live as if you don't believe. God is real, God is real, but you live as if God is not real. Christ is Lord, Christ is Lord, but you live as if he is nothing. Where are you? The Lord says. Let's pray.